the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah Hey, welcome back everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. And uh, as everybody knows, there's been a lot of talk in Washington about... money for uh, getting the economy going again after uh, uh, all of this pandemic uh, impact and so on. And and there's been a lot of talk about build back better and infrastructure money. And we're going to talk about what that means for Flint with somebody who play, pays very close attention to all of that. He uh, works for... Um, is it is it the Department of Transportation? Uh, John Daly is my guest from the city of Flint. And John, what exactly is the the title you have there now? I'm the director of transportation infrastructure. Okay, and and with infrastructure, when people hear Flint and infrastructure, they automatically think about water pipes. Right, and, and that's not the transportation part. Right, right, right. But there was, um, I was just reading somewhere from 2019 where uh, $77 million more had come to Flint for use in, in correcting the the water infrastructure. And, and something like $100 million was pledged by various federal and state uh, sources. And did all of that money go into that, and and what kind of money are we expecting from the feds now for infrastructure, and what kind of infrastructure will that go to? Well, most of the money we've received over the last three years that's been outside of the normal channels has clearly gone towards uh, lead line replacement uh, in the city of Flint, and lead line replacement, and then the restoration of the property. Uh, and any uh, any uh, repairs that have to be done on, say, uh, a road where you've the road in order to repair a water line. So that's uh, that's there's been that's where all the surplus money is gone as far as uh, any funding that's additional that's come in for roads and bridges in Mich- in uh, Flint, Michigan, or in Michigan in general. Uh, there's not any additional money that's not available for, at normal times. Nothing from the, the COVID relief money? No, most of that, all of that is tied right now to uh, water lines and water replacement. So anything Why? that goes to roads and, and bridges and uh, and now internet is being considered part of infrastructure um any any money that would go to those things that is is promised or anticipated is coming out of this build back better bill that is just tied up in knots in in dc that's correct and at this point 
it looks like that, you know, additionally, I would include uh, your various forms of uh, sewer funding that would go in there, sanitary sewer, storm sewer, and uh, the, the uh, collection system that supports that. So as, as that's in addition to water and the water distribution system. And those are the principal areas where the funding has gone due to uh, COVID-19 and lead line replacement. Whatever, from the the state level, whatever happened to Governor Whitmer's campaign to fix the damn roads? Uh, I think it's still out there, but it's just quietly withering away. Did, uh, it, did it ever attract any funding from anywhere, and, and where is that money going? Because it, it seemed like all of a sudden we were going to start seeing a lot of uh, orange barrels, a lot of road projects and well frankly not so much yeah and not so much and that's exactly what happened is that it got uh the legislation that was required to enact uh the programs uh that increased the funding uh couldn't get through the legislature and so uh everything else has been pretty much uh in terms of increased funding for roads and bridges pretty much stillborn at this point well, anybody who's been around Flint and and involved at all, um, as long as, as you have and, and to a lesser degree as I have, John, is aware of the fact that Flint is shrinking in population. Uh-huh. And it's it's significantly less populated than it was 25 or 30 years ago. What are the infrastructure needs now in a city that's shrinking? Is it tearing up the old stuff and building a smaller city? What what are the projects that we need to have in Flint to make things work well and run smoothly? Well, we're, the first thing we have to do is your road system inside the city of Flint is about five and five miles of road uh, that and uh, that also includes 33 bridges and so we have to maintain those right sizing the city is a, is good is, is a good idea when you look at it from about 30,000 feet but as you start <laughs> and look at how you have to do it it's an extremely difficult undertaking first of all the uh, you have to make a decision, okay, when you say right size, what does that mean? What level are you going to go to to restructure the city? And if you're going to reduce its scope and work, or scope and size, then you've got to come in and actually do some changes in Michigan law. That, <clears throat> for instance, right now, <clears throat> you can't want some public service whether it be a road, water, or sewer, has been extended to a property owner, uh, those services cannot be taken back by the municipality unless the property owner consents. So we, we have, the one of the, you're absolutely right, Tom, that one of the large problems we have in, main, in the city of Flint is maintaining this infrastructure 
that was designed for a city of about 150 to 170,000 people. And we're down to, I believe, in the 2020 census, we're down to right at 85,000. How does abandoned and vacant property factor into any of those equations about right-sizing the city? Well, you, that's that's the key things you have to address, that if I have a block that is vacant, that the, there's no one living at it, no business activity on that block, I still, there's still, the city still has responsibility for maintenance of streets, still has responsibility for police and fire, and in the case of water and sewer, still has responsibility to maintain those structures for, unless there's consent. So, one, it's, it's a very significant undertaking because you have to have the concurrence of all property owners if you're going to reduce the uh, scope of service inside the city. And again, then, it's one thing to look at the past because that you can pretty well determine. But when you look, when you say right sizing, again, what level are you going to right size to? The current, the current, uh, the current population, or are you going to model it and take a look at what's and try to do it in the future? And this is not going to be something. Two things: if you do undertake that, one, it will be it will not be inexpensive. Uh, because the only way I know to right-size the properties in the city is to have the city or the municipality acquire the city or the properties. And then the second thing is you're going to have to secure the funding that's necessary to do that because while you're making this transition, you still have to support the existing transportation system in particular, which has been underfunded for the last 20, 25 years. More about transportation infrastructure with John Daly from the city of Flint. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, mistress of the dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. 
Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Jonah Pody. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions and you know the material and you, and you care about it and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, file a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about transportation infrastructure with John Daly from the city of Flint straight ahead. You know, John, when uh, George W. Bush was president and then later when Barack Obama was president, I kept hearing a phrase um, that that seemed new to me at the time. And, and like, like phrases do from time to time, seem to just pop up in Washington. But um, it was talking about uh, shovel-ready projects. Mm-hmm. And... The idea was that there was, you know, money being raised to use to do improvements and that uh, shovel-ready projects would, uh, you know, get the green light faster than than anything else, regardless of of what a a city or state planner's uh, vision was. Um, Are there shovel-ready projects in Flint that are waiting for this Build Back Better money? Well, if you go back and look at what that shovel really meant, what that meant was that all of your preliminary engineering, all of your preparation work had been already done and was waiting for the construction phase of the project to commence. And that was, well, I mean, that's 
that really sounds great, but you're investing, you're asking the municipalities to invest money in preparation, uh, doing the uh, preliminary engineering and even some of the construction engineering before they have any any secure idea that they're going to get the funding. And so the pro- if that if the funding if it's great if the project's funded, but if there's always in that situation going to be more more project requests, there and there is money to support it. So you're going to have properties that won't be funded, and those those funds on preliminary engineering, while they <coughs> well, they've been spent, they're just not going to be enacted at that time. And the shovel ready projects were. <coughs> came right after right at the beginning of an administration so there was a change and what you have to recognize is it's going to take more than one administration to bring the infrastructure problem up to resolve it and it's going to take uh, it's going to probably take 15 to 20 years to do that and it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight the other difficulty we have is we're so focused on on the cost of the project that we, uh, in other words, we want to award the contract to the municipality that has, that to the project, to the vendor that presents the project or a proposed contract at the lowest cost, that we need to recognize there are other factors that are considered, that it's not just the lowest cost of the project, but it's the lowest cost of the service life of that project. You know, we hear people talking all over the country about the need for uh, maintenance and repair on roads and bridges. In Flint, a lot of the residents are concerned about blight. Which, which is the most urgent in the city of Flint, John? What, what would you like to recommend to the mayor um, as as priorities for use of potential build back better dollars. Well, I we, I work closely in my job. I work closely with Mayor Neely uh, in these projects, and it, the difficulty is it's not an either or; it's a both. That you have to you can't ignore one uh, and do the other, uh, because the they continue to decrease in value. So. You have to have a, a structured approach where you're going to address both efforts, and I think that's occurring. That it's, I believe, it's unreasonable to expect overnight improvement. That it took us in Flint 20 to 25 years to get to the position we're in. So to expect resolution even within a single year or two years is is really not a reasonable thing to expect. Having said that, I think that we're making progress on blight removal. Uh, I know that uh, that's not in my department, but I, from what I can tell, we're making significant progress in that area. The difficulty the we're doing, we've undertaken resurfacing of roads, and last year we resurfaced uh, nine and a half miles of road in the city of Flint, and this year when we put the preliminary plan together for the tw- 2022 construction season, we're looking at resurfacing probably between 15 and 20 miles. 
and that is a significant departure from what's been done in the past. Uh, usually it's about four to five miles a summer. So we are addressing that, but when you have 505 miles of road inside, inside your road system, it's going to take a while to resolve, to bring all the roads up to speed. Where is that money coming from, John? It comes from, uh, principally it comes from the Michigan Transportation Fund, the, uh, which is where your, the tax that are, for, that, uh, are paid on get, uh, diesel fuel and gasoline uh, are reside. They're collected, and that's where they go, and they're allocated out according to a formula. It's also where the money that's associated with the tiling of automobiles goes. Occasionally, the state will put additional monies into that uh, fund from the state general fund, and then there's you have some local revenues that will go into it. And then in addition to that, for your roads that are identified as being in interstate commerce, you get federal aid, which is from the federal tax that comes in. But those all of these roads are all of these taxes that are coming in and and the cities receiving them as revenue restricted uh, funding. They're all uh, tied up in reconstruction projects. In other words, the money that where the shortfall in money, I believe, is today is is in doing preventative maintenance. That we're on, we're we're literally in a worst first philosophy with regards to our infrastructure repair. And rather than looking at it as where do we invest the money in order to get the best return. And in this case, return is really looked at as being the uh, the increase in service life of the asset that we're dealing with. What we look at is we just op- we just operate that asset until it literally breaks, and then all of a sudden now we have a, a difficult situation that we have to resolve immediately, and we have to spend an inordinate amount of money to fix it which, that we wouldn't have had to spend had we been doing the preventative maintenance. John, uh, your background, of course, was, uh, at least fairly recently, was with the uh, Genesee County Road Commission, and you mentioned that your role with the city now is Director of City Transportation and Infrastructure, or Transportation Infrastructure. I'm not sure if I, if I have that quite straight. Is, is your focus and expertise primarily directed at roads and bridges? Roads, bridges, uh, sidewalks, uh, pretty much anything that's transportation that's related that's inside the road right-of-way. And and the road right-of-way means exactly what? Sidewalk to sidewalk? Sidewalk. On a, the, on a regular city street. On a regular road, it's the the sidewalk is included in the right of way. It's in the right of way. So generally speaking, the from the far edge of the sidewalk to the far edge of the sidewalk across the street. And and a similar distance on roads that don't have sidewalks. Yes. Yes. And also traffic signals. 
Oh, okay. I, you know, I hadn't even thought about traffic signals, but that's a big part of, of uh, transportation infrastructure. Um, is there a process going on? I've just started to notice these things, John. Um, Solar-powered lights on, on uh, not so much traffic lights, but I, I'm seeing them on... Uh, stop signs and and other kinds of uh, road signage um, is is there a planned effort to convert uh, traffic signals and and other operational lighting and signage to solar or or some other alternative power source oh absolutely uh one of the, the the key things that you start you see in the city right now is that we're just we're on we're about probably about four months away from moving all of our traffic signals away from incandescent bulbs and analog controllers to LED bulbs and uh, digital controllers, and that's going to reduce the amount of electricity that we need to run the traffic signals. Uh, addition to the, in addition to that, for many of your informational signs, uh, speed limit signs, pedestrian crossing signs, those are moving more and more to solar power as those signs, maintenance is being performed on those signs. And I would expect that we'll have most of those types of advisory signs uh, where you're going to have illumination on the sign being powered by solar energy within the next five years. Uh, it, the, the electricity and the placement of the infrastructure for electricity for traffic signals can be of a significant can be a significant expense. For instance, if you're going to put a, tra- a traffic signal at an intersection that already has electricity available there, it's uh, it will run you. Uh, generally about fifty to sixty thousand dollars because you've got to reconfigure the inter- you've got to reconfigure the intersection. If you don't have electricity there, uh, it's a case of the actual cost is a project by project matter. But on on average, I would say it would run probably close to one hundred thirty to one hundred forty thousand dollars for the intersection. So there are significant savings in moving more towards. In, to our solar-powered uh, devices, I think it will be a. We're not quite at the stage yet. We're almost there, but not quite technology where we want to take something that absolutely has to work and be powered and make it uh, and have it solar-powered, specifically traffic signals. But there's a lot of. There, but that's improving now. We're getting better capacitors for energy storage. So I think that that will come within the next five, six years, and probably a decade from now, you're going to be looking at most of your infrastructure inside the road right away is, is solar powered. John, it's it's uh, been a while since since we talked, and it's great to talk with you again. And I appreciate you uh, spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Um, but as I recall, uh, in recent or in uh, Former conversations, we talked a lot about 
roundabouts, and and you seem to be um, a a supporter or proponent of using roundabouts at certain intersections. Are we going to see more roundabouts in the city of Flint? Absolutely. Uh, the coming during the we're looking at between three and five locations in the side of the city of Flint where we can uh, convert those intersections to uh, from tri- signaled intersections to roundabouts. And roundabouts are really an interesting item that they, they, they represent a change and as unlike most human beings, I don't like change. And so that's the biggest difficulty. I've, I've been involved between the Road Commission and the City of Flint over the years. I've been involved with, with about six roundabout installations in, in countywide. And it's very interesting that you get a lot of complaints and concerns before the roundabout is there. But if you educate the public as that roundabout is being built and constructed, it's generally fairly well accepted. Uh, coming out the other side, you get very, very few complaints. And one of the reasons that most our traffic layouts were really designed and structured back in the 1930s. And if you were going to design a traffic system, a road system for the in the municipality in an urban area for the vehicles we have today you would put in roundabouts instead of cities or instead of signals so it's it's a very logical step forward and what i like about it is that in a conventional intersection you have 68 points of conflict in that intersection where you can have automobiles that will try to share the same simultaneously in other words, there's an opportunity for a collision. And those collisions are high-energy collisions, potentially. And they'll, have, they'll, they'll damage the vehicle. They'll also cause major injury and can, on occasion, cause loss of life. Your roundabout takes all of your T-bone type of incidents that can occur in an intersection and converts them from the T-bone type of inter- uh, collision to what literally is almost a sideswipe. So you have the way energy gets dispersed in a collision changes significantly, and so you have much, much fewer uh, accidents, mishaps, where you have significant injury and significant uh, uh, damage to the automobile. Yes, there will be some, but it will be much, much less, and the intersections are safer to use with roundabouts, I believe. John, is there a... a uh a strategic or master plan with regard to uh, road repair, maintenance, and and upgrades, or is it all handled on a uh, uh, planned and implemented on a case-by-case basis uh, driven by urgency? The answer to both those questions is yes. (laughs) I mean, when I was in the service, one of the things we used to say was that we'd spend a lot of time planning, but you had to remember that no plan survives contact with the enemy, that you have to be able to revise the plan as you encounter reality. So we do plan the allocation 
of dollars, and we try to make, we try to spend those the funds that we get uh, as uh, effectively as possible. We want to make we we really move to a, uh, an investment philosophy with our road system, where you're looking at return on investment, in other words, improvement in the service life. Uh, of an asset as opposed to just going out and fixing it because it's broken. And that's just, in the, the Michigan about uh, 12 years ago implemented the statewide infrastructure asset management uh, strategy that requires all road maintenance activities and water and sewer activities to submit an asset plan each year for what they intend to do during the coming year. And and one of the things I've been involved in that since its initiation, and I currently am a member of the Michigan Infrastructure Council, which is a nine-person council that oversees that operation for that function. And I think that is a, that's a significant step forward because you simply cannot wait until the asset is in need of repair to initiate the repair process. So there's something that has to be ongoing throughout service life of that infrastructure asset if you expand, if you plan to get the maximum value out of that asset. And I always use the analogy of the roof on your house. Use the roof on your house as an example. If you normally a roof lasts about 20 years. If you want to get that full 20 years and you want to get 100% of the service uh that you can coming off of that roof, then you have to you have to do repairs, and you should be doing repairs on a preventative basis rather than waiting until it breaks. On the other hand, if you don't invest any money in that asset, that roof, for twenty years, and then all of a sudden, when it fails, it will fail probably fail all at once, and you're going to have a significant expenditure that you have to. Uh, incur in just keeping the, the service level where it's efficient. So you have shingles on that roof as opposed to a blue tarp or something. How much public input is there in uh, uh, working with uh, infrastructure maintenance and and uh, repair? We have the opportunity for the public is 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 there for input. It's it's it, it is a factor. Uh, the public, it's, it is the public's dollar. Those are the public's roads. So they need to be aware, but they also need to be aware of what the condition is and what the projection is for the future so that the public can support the right decision package that comes out. And that's associated with any infrastructure, not just system, not just roads, but also the things that typically think of infrastructure as assets, water and wastewater related, but also things like uh, public buildings. Well, John, we're um, we're out of time, but I hope we uh, can get together and, and talk again. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about and where they might be able to provide some input if they have thoughts about infrastructure projects and so on. Um, John, what's what's uh, uh, the best 
way for people to find out more or get involved? The, uh, the first way at the local level is go up on the cityofflint.com website, www.cityofflint, all one word, .com. And you can, you can see much of the transportation and blight removal information that's available to the public will be available there. If you want to take a little broader look, take go up on Google up the Michigan Infrastructure Council. And you can take a look at that and see what the council does and the approach that's being taken statewide to manage infrastructure, particularly transportation, water, sewer, uh, your public utilities, uh, and the railroads in a more cost effective manner and to get better, more efficient utilization out of those assets. And you can do that up on the Michigan Infrastructure Council. Well, John, thanks again for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. Keep up the good work, and uh, I wish I wish you well on the outcome of uh, Build Back Better dollars. Well, it's it's <laughs> a long it's, it's a long haul, and yeah, that's what you have to be prepared for. Is that this is not going to be anything that's going to be solved tomorrow morning, and frankly, it's going to not it's not going to be solved simply by throwing money at the problem. That you've got to structure how you're going to how what improvements you want to make and how those are going to be implemented, what level of service you expect from this asset, uh, and the peop- and then what are you willing to fund. Well, John, uh, thanks again, and uh, be well. We'll talk again. Okay. You take care, Tom. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Again, that was uh, John Daly from the city of Flint. He is the Director of Transportation infrastructure and we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program the Tom Sumner program.com hey <laughs> this is the unknown comic and guess what you're listening to the Tom Sumner show right now and now and now too and even now It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Loan Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Whiplet Technology, Mock Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon, they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, to hug her, and 
see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Ellen Sherman, Cleveland housewife and mother. Hi, I'm a nuclear physicist and commissioner of consumer affairs. In my spare time, I do needlepoint, read, sculpt, take writing lessons, and brush up on my knowledge of current events. Thursday's my day at the daycare center, and then there's my work with the deaf. But I still have time left over to do all my own baking and practice my backhand, even though I'm on call 24 hours a day as a legal aid. How does Ellen Sherman do it all? She's smart. She takes speed. The tiny blue diet pill you don't have to be overweight to need. And then I collect these paper bags. And I have them right here, all folded and everything. In case anyone needs a paper bag, I have yes, one. Yes, speed. Because I fold them neatly, you know. I don't fold them just any old way. Why not ask your family doctor for a prescription today? And when that runs out, you can ask your neighbor's doctor. And your mother's doctor. And your college roommate's doctor. And your best friend from high school's doctor. And your babysitter's I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I'm going to talk to you about driving because I've had my problems and I must tell you about my problems driving. First of all, in different cities. Uh, In Los Angeles, uh, who puts up the dip signs out there? (laughs) Does it make sense to put up a dip sign two inches before you get to the dip? Driving the guys, what's the science? The science is dip. <laughs> if you want to help somebody, put it after you hit the dip, you know. You just hit a dip. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, uh, in San Francisco, it's a different story. 
In San Francisco, they have these hills that have got to be the worst hills in the world to build a city around or in or on. It's fantastic. And it's not, it has nothing to do with shifting gears or anything. It's just that these hills are fantastic. They go straight up and straight down. And even with a high dramatic, I've worried at times. I've gone up to the top of some of these things. You get up to the top and the car's still going up. And you say, where's the land for crying out loud? That's the only time I've ever stood up in the car. Where the hell's the land for crying out loud? And then when I did go down, I went straight down like this. You, know, you guys said, put the brake on. Are you crazy? The back of the car flip over this way. And the insurance company won't cover you if you've had a head-on collision with a hill. I'll tell you that right now. They built a street up there called Lombard Street that goes straight down and they're not satisfied with you killing yourself that way. They put grooves and curves and everything in it and then they put flowers there where they buried the people that have killed themselves. Yeah. Lombard Street, wonderful street. So, I had this uh, Volkswagen, a guy lent me a Volkswagen. Now I don't get along at all with a clutch, that's all there is to it. You don't even have to look for my car if you want to tell if I've been there. Just take a sniff and smell the clutch, that's all. I'll burn out a clutch in a minute. And first gear is not my best friend in the world, that's all. I get the hiccup, you know. And, uh, I, you know, second gear is not too bad. Third is great. Once I get in the third, I'm not shifting back for nobody. That's all. I'll run over a guy before I have to go back in the first gear again. Forget it. Boy. So I'm driving around the city and I had to take this hill because they put up a detour sign. So I said, well, if I'm going to take this hill, I'm really going to take it and get right over it, boy. And I gunned up the motor. Ah, 20, 60, 80, prrr, I get up to the top, I'm ready to go over. I look to the right, somebody put a stop sign up at the top of the hill. And I said, you got to be kidding me. Nobody in his right mind puts a stop sign up at the top of a hill like this. I figured the city didn't do it. Some nut went out to the Army-Navy store, bought himself a stop sign, he's got a spyglass, looks through it, look, Martha, we caught somebody down there. <laughs> so I'm caught, and I put the brake on. And I know if I'm in a hurry, I'm gonna lose my right leg because all the blood's draining down to my hip. And I figured the time it takes me to get off of the brake and get to the accelerator, I will have drifted into the bay. And if you die that way, they won't let you into heaven. You go up, you see St. Peter says, how'd you die? Me and a Volkswagen drifted backwards into the base. You go to hell. <laughs> so I said, I better give it a try. I look in the rearview mirror. Now there's a car behind me. Well, I don't want this guy to know I can't drive. So I said, come around, idiot, come around. He can't hear me because he's busy telling the guy behind him, come around, idiot, come around. They caught 13 million of us on that hill. And we all made an agreement. We put on the emergency brake and we turned it into a used car lot. That's all we did. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. I want to say thanks to all my guests on the show, uh, starting with this last hour that we spent with uh, 
John Daly from the city of Flint. It was nice talking to John again. It's been a while. Um, let's see, and what else uh, do we have on the big broadcast today? Oh, a fascinating conversation with um, Frank Vogel during the second hour of our three-hour tour. He is uh, from Georgetown University and former uh, foreign correspondent for the London Times and um, former uh, spokesperson for the World Bank. And uh, he has a uh, new book. It's called The Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption Endangering Our Democracy by uh, Frank Vogel. And we started out this morning with uh, a very interesting conversation with the author of Influence and Impact, Discover and Excel at What Your Organization Needs from You the Most. Written by Bill Berman, who is uh, a um, seasoned business psychologist, uh, Harvard and Yale trained. Anyway, uh, thanks to all of them and to all of you for tuning in today. I hope you'll join me for tomorrow when uh, I'll have another edition of the Tom Sumner program. Love to have you along uh, for that uh, for that show. In the meantime, that's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. So, in the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.